I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 2020 has been a tough year all round. But for sports fans, just as the nation could have done with a distraction, instead... The losses have mounted. The 2020 Summer Olympics, now the latest major sports cancellation. Following thorough and extensive consideration of all scenarios. We knew we have to stop the competitions. Postponing the Euro is the only chance. Wimbledon, one of the most important tennis tournaments in the world, will not be played this year. Not only did we lose the great sporting moments that bring the country together, but through lockdown... Many of us have been deprived of local clubs and teams and just the opportunity to take part in sports. We have needed a little escapism this year, an opportunity to switch off and to unwind and to forget and to be active. And I think the fact that we've lacked that has been very tough for a lot of people. How many little clubs, which make such a difference to their members, will be able to survive when the pandemic is over? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, why sport matters, even in a pandemic. So recently, you went to a table tennis centre in Brighton Tell me a bit about that. So this is a Sunday Times charity, Brighton Table Tennis Club, or one of the clubs supported by Sporthead, which is a wider network of sporting and and social clubs. That's the voice of Matthew Saeed, a columnist for The Times and The Sunday Times. Unlike most writers, he's also a two-time Olympian, having represented Britain at table tennis in 1992 and again in 2000. Matthew recently wrote a piece in the Sunday Times about Sported, a UK charity which promotes sport at the grassroots level. It helps 2,600 local groups, enabling more than half a million people to keep active. One of the organisations it supports is the Brighton Table Tennis Club. I was asked to go down there a couple of months ago and I was told that it was an amazing table tennis club. And I walked in, you know, it's near the beach at Brighton. I, I parked in the back of the church and I walked into this building and I was like, isn't there a better charity to support? It just felt so 
ordinary and uninspiring. A room with a couple of tables, then a kind of archway leading to another room with some tables. And I was like, you know, big deal. I thought it's no better than any other table tennis club I've ever been into. And that's true. In terms of its physical building, it was no different. Then I met this guy called Tim, who's a Brighton table tennis club coach. To cut a long story short, getting to know him and what the club actually does and its kind of community context, I was completely blown away. We'll come back to Tim and the Brighton Table Tennis Club in just a moment. But what is it that makes an inspirational coach? And how does a local club become such an important and transformative part of its members' lives? Well, Matthew would know. After all, that's how he first got started in table tennis. You know, it's a funny thing. I was trying to piece this together with my mum over Zoom. I think I started at primary school at about eight years old. There was an amazing guy at my primary school, Aldrington County Primary School in suburban Reading, you know, state school. There was a guy called Peter Charters who was a junior school teacher, an absolutely inspirational human being, you know, bushy moustache, bright, quizzical eyes, And he started a table tennis after school club that my brother, Andrew, two years older than me, joined. And he said, there's this brilliant sport. You know, it's with this small white ball and there's spin and strategy. He probably didn't quite use those words. He was only 10 at the time. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, he got me, he got my interest peaked and I started playing. And from then, really, until I retired from table tennis in my uh, early 30s. It was the dominant force in my life. Uh, absolutely fell in love with it. And this coach, everything he did, he did as a volunteer. He never got paid. He just coached after school. He formed a local club. And he was such a brilliant human being, who's still a very dear friend to this day. And what was it like for you, you know, sort of having discovered this game as a as a schoolboy in Reading to suddenly being the number one? What What does that feel like? Well, it's, it's always a, a gradual transition because when I started, I was awful at table tennis. I, <laughs> uh, you know, I that, remember David, that provides me with hope. <laughs> uh, uh, but I mean, I suppose everyone will, will be able to tell the same story because obviously you're a beginner, you're a novice when you first pick up a bat. But slowly but surely, you, you get better. And I, you know, I had some aptitude for it for sure. But it was really the passion and dedication that was a, was a key variable and then, you know, slowly, I, you know, I was sort of third in the school championship. Then the following year, I won the school championship. So, so when you get up to number one, it's never that you, you arrive at the number one spot in the country very rapidly. It always feels at the time as the culmination of a very long journey. And given that, given that it takes, you know, years of constant practice and training and, and a lot of work to get there, is it very hard to suddenly stop? It is hard. I mean, I was obviously playing a sport without quite the profile of uh, of a football or a rugby or a cricket in this country. But nevertheless, it, it's such a all-pervasive ambition to be the best that you can be. And, you know, I played my first Olympics in 1992, my final Commonwealth Games in 2002. I started at the age of eight and I, I turned 50 last month. Looking back now, it seems very odd to have spent so much of my life, this one brief 
opportunity to exist, obsessed with being one place above Christophe Legout of France in the world rankings. You know, that, <laughs> I would wake up in the morning and think, yes, but have I moved above Lucien Blachik from Poland? And it seems <laughs> odd, but all lives are, when you take a step back, slightly eccentric. And then you give up, you retire. I was dropping down the world rankings. You know, the body wasn't holding up as well as it had done previously. And it does feel extremely lonely to have this ambition that's been a close confidant almost, almost like a, a, an all-pervading presence in your mind, waking up and going to bed each day. It's no longer there. So it, it's difficult to transition from sport to a life after sport in, in one's 30s. But I've got to say, you know, being able to write and uh, a few other projects that, that have kept me busy, it, it's been something else to really throw myself into. Matthew's table tennis career finished in the early 2000s, but by then he was already writing for The Times. Now, almost two decades on, it was the Sunday Times that sent him back to what, at first, looked like a rather ordinary table tennis club down in Brighton. But it wasn't long before Matthew realised this club was anything but ordinary. People who play table tennis at the club range in age from 2 to 98 it has as one of its top coaches the national champion for people with Down syndrome. It does outreach to prisons where uh, Harry, who's the chap with Down syndrome that I mentioned and I met and have got to know, goes and coaches at the local Nick. When he whacks a few forehands past them, they're slightly blown away by his ability. And they get to know Tim, the coach, and then when they leave uh, prison, they go to the club and they meet people in the club who are from every background imaginable. You know, the posh areas of, of Brighton, homeless people, kids trying to practice after school, people on their lunch break. Just an incredibly diverse, vibrant community of table tennis enthusiasts. But the, the, the living, breathing reality of the club is it's, it's, a, it's a social institution that is just connecting people in a, in a really quite amazing way. I am Harry Fairchurch and I am a, a manager of the club. Tell me about Harry because he, he sounds phenomenal. Harry's a pretty amazing guy. So he told me when I got there that he would beat me. And I said, there's absolutely no way. You know, I might not have played for 25 years, but there's no... Well, I play every now and again, but there's no way you're going to beat me. And he said, but I will be. We started warming up fine to fine. He's got this <laughs> massive forehand smash. He hits a forehand smash at probably about 80, 90 miles an hour. And one of the first one that's hit me in a, in a slightly sensitive area near the groin, and I almost went down on my knee. And he was in hysterics at this point. And I've got a slightly... My hamstring... Did you concede then? <laughs> I did not concede. I, I got up manfully. and But my hamstring is... I, I tore it playing tennis a, a couple of months ago. So it's, it's quite sensitive. But he was like, you need to move. Come on, get get those. And he was coaching me. There's me, a former, you know, two, two times Olympian getting coached. So Harry and I had a lot of banter. And, you know, Tim is looking on, who, who's mentored Harry into the position where he is an excellent coach. Done an unbelievable made an unbelievable contribution to the club in the seven years that he's been involved. Yeah. And uh, he became the first coach in the world with Down syndrome four years ago. I have, I have now. Um, I don't mind, um, I've passed already. My... 
And it really started to subvert the way that I think about learning disability or somebody who I might have thought of as you know, unfortunate and would have stereotyped to an extent. It was a wonderful way to confront my own prejudices. And I could see a couple of other visitors to the club on that day, the same sort of thing happening. But it's not just Harry. It's just a whole range of different people. You know, I met a, um, an asylum seeker on, on that day. His name escapes me for the moment. But again when he was talking about what he's gained from being at the club and uh, it's just uh, it was a pretty mesmerizing experience but i think that the, the young people and all the people that come here they're learning a lot more than just about you know technical um, techniques and how to create a lot of topspin and, and tell me a bit about tim how has he managed to bring all of these people together regardless of their backgrounds or what you would assume would be their ability the slightly boring answer is he raised money, he knocked down doors to get funding, marginally coerced his friends to help him do what he had the vision to do, which is to have a table tennis club there in, in Brighton. The more interesting answer is he was persuasive. I think that, the, that what the club has done and does is, you know, just normalises the presence of all of these different groups of people, these individuals, whether they're travellers yeah. or refugees or local old people, whoever they are, everyone's in here and everyone just knows each other as that's Harry or that's Wenway or that's whoever that person is. But he had the social skills to raise people's aspirations and to infect them with his enthusiasm. There was a, a lovely lady down there called Liz, I think, who is a head teacher at a local school. And Tim got talking to her one day. She's now one of the main trustees. And you can see that they just love being there. They want to be there. They want to help. They enjoy being there. You know, volunteering sounds a bit uh, kind of worthy. But when you're volunteering with other people who love what they are doing, it doesn't feel like work anymore. That's the trick, by the way, I think, with all great institutions is when it doesn't feel like work. That's true of profit-making institutions. It's true of community institutions too. We'll hear more from Matthew Saeed in just a moment. But if you'd like to read his regular columns, then you can do so with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Search for thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It sounds like it's having an amazing impact bringing people from you know, every walk of life together with a real sense of purpose. So what happened to them when lockdown was announced? How have they fared this year? Yeah, it's a shame, really, because during lockdown, I mean, they have a, uh, a kind of like a soup kitchen attached to the club, so they've continued to do that. They hand out food parcels. They've done their community work. But the actual table tennis itself, it, it's made it awkward, but it's continued to function. And they're looking forward, I suppose, like the rest of us, to when we can get out of this period and they can start firing on all cylinders. And tell us a bit about Sported as a charity. Why has that become the focus for the Sunday Times this Christmas? So I think there's a recognition, and I'm so glad the Sunday Times have recognised this, that sport plays in bringing people together in an increasingly fractious society, building those links between different people with diverse backgrounds. Uh, Also, of course, there's a physical activity aspect in a context where obesity levels are rising. And I think all of those different attributes of sport are are terribly important. And Sported is like a a hub of lots of different sports clubs, of which Brighton Table Tennis Club is just one. They effectively fund all of those community clubs that are doing something magical in their particular areas. I mean, is there something different about sport? Is it different to other hobbies? Well, people, people. I mean, look, I'm not saying that sport is you know, superior to other cultural pursuits, theatre and singing. I mean, my mum is in a choir. She's missed that terribly. Very important to her. Mm. But I think for those who love sport, it, it is an important part of their lives. And it's it's obviously been around for for many centuries. The ancient Greeks, you know, Plato, Aristotle, Sophocles, they all loved their sport and would travel out to the ancient Olympics in the Western Peloponnese to watch the greats of that particular era. I think there is something in the mammalian nature to to want to play these invented games, and I think it's a great part of life. Yeah, the ancient Greeks always talked about a sense of balance, I suppose. They did. I mean, they were smart, weren't they? They they (laughs) thought the gymnasium and the academy were complementary facets of the human soul, good body, good mind. I think that's true. I think we, to a certain extent, I think we've missed the the complementarity of those two things. I, you know, we often think of, if you want to be good at sport, then you drop out of school or vice versa. I think that's fundamentally mistaken. I think getting them both is part of a really healthy, balanced life. And this pandemic, it, it's obviously robbed people who, for whom you know, sport is a daily part of their life. You talked about Harry, who's a very talented table tennis player. What about the fans? Why does sport matter so much to, to those of us who aren't quite so skilled, who don't necessarily have a talent? Well, first of all, I would say, I would push back. I think everyone has the capacity to play sport and to enjoy it and actually to improve a lot more than people expect if they stick at it. Uh, my first book was about that, by the way. Um, <laughs> but um, watching sport's great. I mean, it's an amazing thing. And it, it's it been a very painful absence. Sport as a observer as a spectator is a form of really rather wonderful escapism 
And we have needed a little escapism this year, an opportunity to switch off and to unwind and to forget and to be active. And I think the fact that we've lacked that outlet this year has, has been very tough for a lot of people. When this is all over and when we all re-emerge, will a lot of the sporting world, will a lot of the clubs, whether you know big and small, will they survive? I think it depends to an extent on whether or not they are still solvent at the time that physical distancing is relaxed. If they are, then I think it will be a very bright future for community institutions and for professional sports teams. Because if you look at previous pandemics, there's often been a two-year gap between the pandemic burning itself out and life returning to normality. That was true after the 1917 outbreak, the Roaring Twenties will be familiar to, to most people. But I don't think there will be a two-year gap this time. I don't think it will take two years for us to get back to normal life. I think there'll be a very strong appetite to resume normal life quickly. And I suspect that once we're through the worst of this, obviously we have this new strain of virus now, but most scientists are optimistic that the existing vaccines will work against it. And I have my fingers crossed like everybody else. I can see sport roaring back. And what is... Sport Ed doing in the meantime to make sure that some of these clubs are still able to function? So the great thing is Sport Ed is, is offering funding to these community institutions, which still have to pay the rent for the spaces. They sometimes have staff costs and other things of that kind. And just to keep them solvent and viable, I mean, I think the fear is if clubs go under, they are bankrupt, they're no longer solvent, they lose their leases on the places where they play sport, that, that's where it becomes very dangerous. So Sporthead has a, has a hugely important role right now. You said you walked into the table tennis club thinking, aren't there other charities we could be supporting? What do you think of, of the work of Sporthead now? Yeah, loved it. I love Brighton. I, I might go back. Tim, the coach, said, uh, I mean, he, he is absolutely prolific. You know, he probably spoke more words in the two hours that I was there than most people would be able to emit in a, in a sort of usual month. And, you know, I'm driving <laughs> back, I'm getting text messages, emails. He wants me to go back to do an exhibition match against the local champion. Uh, probably a, and, and a game <laughs> against Harry. How do you Harry. feel about that? <laughs> yeah, and he's like, you know what, we'll raise more money, you know, we can hire more coach. You know, he's just absolutely... So I will go back. I'll, I'll, I'll have to get my hamstring sorted out. I'll do some weight training. <laughs> I, after a lot of mince pies over Christmas, I'll, I'll get back into shape. You'll be back. W what are your hopes for, for 2021? Does sport return to normal? Oh, 2021. I... I uh, gosh, that's a big question. I... I there's so many interesting trends in the world at the moment. In, in terms of sport, I think we're going to be okay. I think sport will rise again. When I was at uh, school, there was a genuine thesis that sport would decline in the teeth of artificial intelligence and virtual reality. There were, I mean, there still are. I mean, these have got better through time, but these immersive games 
Dungeons and Dragons when I was at school, but you know, <laughs> these new ones today where you can Well, there's immersive sport now. <laughs> it's a big, big sport in itself, but it's not real sport in the sense that you know, when you play a virtual game, you're operating the keyboard. I mean, to a certain extent, it has comparisons with sport. I think that's fair. But people thought it's much more interesting to just immerse yourself in this very high-tech virtual reality. Why would you want to hit a feather over the net at badminton? You know, why would you want to kick a ball? You know, these seem quite archaic in relation to what virtual reality was bringing. But I think sport has been resilient. It It has... Because it captures certain aspects of who we are, drama, heroism, narrative, but also the physical interaction with the world. I watch my uh, son, he's six now, but from a very young age, you know, moving, kicking balls, hitting them with sticks, watching how they react. There is something intriguing about our physical interaction with the world. There is something about how we manipulate the world. We've had to do it to survive, you know, spear antelope and develop some kind of physical, not a conceptual prowess. This is all about motor skill. And I think there is something deep inside us that will keep sport going in the future. If you'd like to help keep sport going at the grassroots level, then please do think about making a donation to Sport Ed, one of the three charities The Times and The Sunday Times are supporting through this year's Christmas Appeal. To find out more, go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Christmas Appeal. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Matthew Saeed, columnist for The Times and The Sunday Times. The producer today was Will Rowe. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. And sound design was by Carla Patella. Thanks to The Times video team for their help in recording Harry and Tim from the Brighton Table Tennis Club. If you'd like to get in touch with us with any thoughts on what you've just heard or any stories that you'd like us to take a look at, then please do email storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Have a very Merry Christmas from me and all the team here at Stories of Our Times. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.